It's not a parable from the Bible, but it's a parable from a philosopher. And it's really a great parable because it illustrates the lack of authentic faith that is in our churches today. And the parable is about duck land. And it was Sunday morning, and all the ducks waddled in dutifully to church. They came through the back doors, and they waddled to their pews, and they sat down. And so after all the ducks were settled, they opened up their hymns, and they started singing. And then they sat down, and the duck minister got up and opened the duck Bible. And he read this out of the duck Bible. Ducks. You have wings, and you have wings, and you can fly like eagles. You can soar into the sky. Use your wings, you ducks. It was a marvelous, elevating duck scripture. And thus all the ducks quacked their ascent with a hearty amen. Quack, 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 quack. Then they plopped down from their pews and waddled home. I don't know if you got it, but this amusing yet revealing parable illustrates how many professing Christians of today respond after attending church. They come through those doors, they walk down, they sit down, they hear great sermons on how they are to live the victorious Christian life, and then they go home and they never make any changes, just like those ducks. They were told that they could fly. They had wings. Use them. But what did they do? They left duck church and waddled home. Ladies, that kind of faith is dead, and it is useless, as we discovered last year, as we, in, as we well, we didn't end chapter 2, but almost. We saw last year that faith without works is dead, right? A mental ascent to the gospel of Jesus Christ without your life being changed is as useless as money that you might put in the bank that earns no interest. It's as useless as a body without breath. It's unproductive in the matter of salvation. And so we're going to continue to talk about faith that is genuine, faith that works, and we're going to look at two live examples that James gives us. First of all is Abraham, and the second one is Rahab. These two individuals illustrate to us that their faith was working. And so I want you to read with me, if you would, James chapter 2, beginning in verse 21. James says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son upon the altar? See how faith wrought with his works, and by faith was works made perfect. Excuse me, by works was faith made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see then that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. In like manner also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. Now, basically tonight we have a twofold outline. First of all, we're going to see the working faith of Abraham, the working faith of Abraham, verses 21 to 24. And then secondly, we're going to see the working faith of Rahab. Verses 25 and 26. So the working faith of Abraham and the working faith of Rahab. 
And if my time, my words get tied tonight, I'm still have a lot of jet lag, so I keep uh, getting very fatigued, so just pray for me. First of all, let's look at the working faith of Abraham. Now, you might say, well, why does James start out with an illustration of Abraham? Well, to the Jew, Abraham would carry great weight. He was a man, he was a patriarch that was very respected. Abraham would have been considered someone who had a very close relationship with God. In fact, I want you to look at a couple of passages with me that will help further illustrate this. Look over at Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. Jesus is talking here and he's warning the people to repent. And he says in verse 8, Bring forth therefore fruits befitting repentance, and think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say unto you, God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. So Jesus uses him as an example. Turn over to uh, John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Here he's dialoguing with the Jews again, and they're trying to convince Christ about how great they are, and they use Abraham as weight. John chapter 8, beginning in verse 34. Notice what Jesus says. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whoever commits sin is the servant of sin, and the servant abides not in the house forever, but the son abides forever. If the son therefore will make you free, you will be free indeed. I know you're Abraham's seed, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak that which I have seen with my father, and you do that which you have seen with your father. Then the Jews said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said unto them, If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man that has told you the truth which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. You do the deeds of your father. Then said they to him, We are not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Even because you cannot hear my word, you are of the fa- of your father the devil. And the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, you don't believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? He that is of God hears God's word. You therefore hear, hear them not because you're not of God. Then answered the Jews and said to him, Say we not well, you're a Samaritan, you have a demon. Jesus said, I don't have a demon. I honor my father, you dishonor me. I seek not my own glory. There's one that seeks and judge. Verily, verily, I say unto you, if a man keeps my saying, he will never see death. Then said the Jews to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham is dead and the prophets, and you say, If a man keeps my saying, he shall never taste of death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who is dead and the prophets that are dead? Who makes you? Jesus said, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It's my father that honors me of whom you say he's your God. Yet you've not known him, but I know him. And if I should say I know him not, I I shall be a liar like unto you. But I know him and keep his saying. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad. (laughs) Then said the Jews to him, you're not even 50 years old and you've seen Abraham? Jesus said to him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. And they took up stones to cast at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. And so here you see the Jews using Abraham as what? Hey, he's our father. So to the Jew, 
Abraham would have been the big wig. In fact, turn over to one more passage because I want you to hold your uh, finger here in Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, verse 13. Paul says this, For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if they who are of the law be heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect. Why? Because the law works wrath. For where the no law is, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith that we might be by grace. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed. Not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham. Notice, who is the father of us all. Ladies, all three of these passages point to the fact that the Jew looked at Abraham as their father. So when James used this illustration, they would take up, they would listen up. It would be like today if I would say, you know, Billy Graham, or maybe to some of you it would be John MacArthur, John Piper, or Elizabeth Elliot, or Corey Ten Boom. These would be examples in your mind of someone who has great faith. And so when James uses the example of Abraham to the Jew, that's like, yeah, he's a great guy. He's a man of great faith. And so then he asks the question back in James, was not Abraham justified by works? Now, the word justified here means to pronounce or treat as righteous. It's like a judge in a court of law. You know, they, you go to law and he pronounces what? You hope. The judge pronounces a just sentence. That's what the Greek word means. So Abraham was justified. How was he justified? Notice what James says. By works. Wait a minute, Susan. We're not justified by works, Right? Aren't we justified by faith alone? Doesn't Romans 5, 1 say we've been justified by faith, and yet James is telling me here that Abraham is justified by works? Isn't something wrong here? I knew the Bible had contradictions. See, there's one right here. Aren't we saved by God's power? We know Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, what, it's not by works which we have done that we're saved, but according to his mercy. Isn't this a contradiction? Well, no. If your finger is still in Romans chapter 4, look very carefully at what Paul says, and this will help you with what seems to be a contradiction but is not a contradiction. Look at Romans 4, verse 2. What shall we say then that Abraham our father, as pertaining to the flesh, has found? For if Abraham were justified by works... He has something of which to glory, but not before God. Now catch that word, but not before God is the key. Paul, listen very carefully, because if you miss this, you'll miss the whole thing, okay? Paul is talking about being justified before God. Ladies, we are justified not by works, but by faith. James, when you get over to James and he says, well, not, was not Abraham justified by works? He's talking about being justified, Abraham being justified by his works before men. Remember what he said in 2.18? Yay, a man says, hey, I have faith. I've got faith. And another says, I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I'll show you my faith. How? By my works. Ladies, we are justified by faith alone before God. But James is saying Abraham's faith was justified by works before men. How could people see Abraham's faith? By his works. By his works. 
The whole world could see the reality of his faith when he was willing to kill his son, Isaac. Abraham was justified before God by faith. Ladies, no works are involved in our salvation. In Romans, Paul is talking about our works being useless when trying to gain merit before God. James is talking about our works as evidence of our salvation. You know, Abraham's works were simply the fruit and the outward evidence that he was genuinely saved. Now, some of you may have difficulty understanding this. In fact, I know, I think it was John Calvin or Martin Luther, somebody threw out the book of James because of this alone. They said, this is so much of a contradiction, James cannot be in the canon. The ladies don't do that. It's a great book. It's my favorite New Testament book. You just have to understand. In fact, maybe John Calvin will help you a little bit. It must have been Martin Luther that threw it out. It wasn't John Calvin because I'm going to quote him. Maybe this will help you. Faith alone justifies, but the faith with which justifies is not alone. Does that help you? Faith alone justifies. Ladies, if you are a child of the king tonight, you are justified by faith alone, by grace alone, through faith. However... The faith that you now have is just is not alone. It should be accompanied with works, as we have been seeing. Faith without works is what? Dead. You might as well go ahead and bury your religion because it's useless. It is dead if there are no works. The works of Abraham present a crowning example of the kind of faith that James insists that we must have. Well, what were the works of Abraham? Notice what he says. He offered Isaac, his son, on the altar. Ladies, the Greek here suggests that Abraham was declared righteous when he brought Isaac to that altar to sacrifice him as God told him to do. It was at that moment, that instance, when Abraham took that child and put him on the altar that his faith was justified and was proved not dead. Now, I want you to turn back to the account in Genesis 22 because I want to look at this really quickly and point out a few things. This is the account when Abraham offered up his son. Genesis 22. Ladies, as I read this to you, and I'm sure you read it, I hope you did read it this week in preparation for tonight. But as I read it to you this evening, I want you to pretend you're Abraham and just think about how you would feel. Genesis 22. It came to pass after these things that God did test Abraham and said to him, Abraham... And he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and get to the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell you of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning, saddled his ass, took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, cut the wood for the burnt offering, rose up, and went to the place of which God told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes, and he saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Abide here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, laid it upon Isaac his son, took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. Isaac spoke to Abraham his father and said, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. And they came to the place which God told them of, and Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand, took a knife to kill his son. 
And the angel of the Lord called him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. And he said, do not lay your hand upon your son, neither do you anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his thorns. And Abraham went, took the ram, offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. Ladies, did you notice the first thing that I noticed? Abraham asked no questions. No questions. If I was in Abraham's shoes, I'd be saying, excuse me, you want me to offer my son? Are you sure about that, Lord? The son that you promised that, you know, the promise of the seed that I might, that my, the heir of my seed would be as numerous as the sand of the sea. And you want me to kill him? He immediately obeyed the next morning. He got up and he went. I don't see any wavering here. I see no questions. Remember our first lesson, James chapter 1? No, I mean, no wavering. No wavering. Ladies, the enormity of Abraham's faith must not be treated lightly. It was Isaac. It was his only beloved son that was about to be sacrificed. Now, I know many of you in here are mothers, as I am, and my son's going to be 32 next week. I can't believe that. I feel 32. How did he get to be 32? But, I mean... I love Charles, and there were times I wanted to, you know, yeah, I was a typical mother, wanted to punch him out, but I still could never imagine taking Charles and binding him up and putting him on an altar and killing him with a knife. Even if God asked me to do that, I could never imagine doing that. It was through Isaac that God said his seed would be blessed And yet Abraham was willing to do that. Now, ladies, as a mother, you must stand in awe at Abraham's faith. I do. In fact, I think Abraham actually must have believed that he would have gone ahead and killed Isaac and got to see him rise from the dead. I really believe that. That's the kind of faith this man had. Why else would Abraham have told the young men guarding the donkey, you will come back to you. Did you notice that? He didn't say, I He said, we'll come back. You stay here. We will be back. In fact, I wonder if Abraham was a little bit disappointed that he didn't get to see the first resurrection. I don't know. Ladies, that is unbelievable faith. Well, after James highlights Abraham's great faith displayed by offering Isaac on the altar, he then asks his readers, do you see that faith was working together with his works and by works faith was made perfect? You know, it seems to be obvious, doesn't it? But obviously some of James' readers couldn't understand it. Ladies, faith working together with his works means that faith cooperated or worked together. It enabled Abraham to perform acts of obedience. In fact, the verb working here is in the imperfect tense, suggesting that this cooperation was continual All the time. In fact, if you would spend some time reading Genesis, Abraham's faith just was not limited to the offering up of Isaac. You know, there was a time that God asked Abraham to get up and move, and he got up and moved. There was a time that he asked him to circumcise himself and all of his sons. I mean, Abraham is a grown man. There was no questioning God. He did it right then. 
Ladies, when you look at Abraham's life, it was one of constant, continual obedience. And that's the Greek word here. It continued to work. It continued to work. And ladies, it should be that way in our life. People should see that our faith works. And not just five years ago. And not just today. But they should see that your faith works tomorrow. And the next day. And the next day. And two years from now, when you have a terrible tragedy in your life, they should still see your faith working. That's what James is saying. Well, James completes this question with the phrase, and by works was faith made perfect. This means it was completed, it was finished. Abraham's faith had a goal in the providence of God. What was Abraham's goal? Obedience. Obedience. Ladies, the goal was that through faith, Abraham would be brought into such an intimate relationship with God that he would voluntarily act to please God in every situation that God asked him to do something. That is amazing, isn't it? In fact, I'm sure each of us can recall times when we exercise faith in obedience to God, even when it seemed like a crazy thing to do. That's how I felt, to be quite honest, going to India. I thought, what in the world am I doing? I mean, this place has just been, you know, terrorized by terrorists. I'm flying right into the place. Have I lost my mind? And, you know, first my husband said, you're not going. Then he says, yeah, you can go. It's all okay. And I kept the whole way there. I just thought, what am I doing? What am I doing? But I knew God wanted me to go, and I had made a commitment to go. And I thought, well, if I die, I die. If I perish, I perish, you know. It's far better, right, to live as Christ, die as gain. So, you know, I made sure everything was in order before I left. Someone said, faith is the heart and works is the hand. The hand cannot move without the cooperation of the heart. Abraham's hands would have never lifted the knife to place it in Isaac's chest if the heart did not lift it. By means of the hand, the obedience of the heart was proven. Ladies, that's really the key this evening to know if your faith is real or not. You know, if God asks you to do something that you do not understand and you don't understand the purpose and you don't understand the value of it, but you still obey, that's when the rubber meets the road. That's when your faith proves itself to be genuine. Well, in the next verse, James discussed the effect of Abraham's sacrificial offering. Notice what he says in verse 23. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. Now, the question comes to mind, what scripture was fulfilled? Well, look back at Genesis 15, and we'll see the scripture that was fulfilled. Genesis 15, just a few short verses here. Notice, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abraham. I am your shield. I am your exceedingly great reward. And Abraham said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing that I go childless, and the heir of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus? And Abraham said, Behold, to me you have given me no seed, and, lo, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This shall not be your heir, but he that will come forth out of your own loins will be your heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars and see if you are able to count them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness. This was the scripture that was 
fulfilled. Abraham believed God. And James says it was counted to him for righteousness. What did he believe that God was going to do? He believed that God would make his descendants as numerous as the stars of heaven. Because of the faith portrayed in Genesis 15, he was able to produce works, the offering of Isaac in Genesis 22. Through Isaac, he knew his seed would be blessed, yet God said to kill him. And he believed God. And God counted it to him for righteousness. Ladies, this should give you great hope when you think God is silent and is not fulfilling his promises to you. This was 30 years. Genesis 15 was 30 years before Genesis 22. Abraham was waiting 30 years patiently. Abraham knew God would spare his son because he knew God could not cancel his promise. Well, James goes on to say it was counted to him for righteousness. This word accounted means it was calculated like something being placed to your credit. James says God took Abraham's faith and regarded it as sufficient grounds for receiving him in his favor, even though he was a sinner. And then I like how James ends the portion about Abraham. He was called the friend of God. He was called the friend of God. The Greek word here is phylos. In fact, it's a word. Is everyone else hot? I see people fanning, and I'm very warm here. Is you all hot? Let me turn the air down a little bit. Did, can't. Okay, well, just start peeling your clothes. Pretend you're in India. This Greek word for friend is a love found in two persons because of common interest and concerns. Isn't that great? Abraham was a friend of God. And ladies, I think it's significant that this word friend is used after the illustration of Abraham's willingness to sacrifice his son Isaac at God's request. You know why? Because God did exactly the same thing with his son. He offered him as a sacrifice. Abraham is called the friend of God. Ladies, wouldn't that be great to have that on your tombstone? I'm going to have something else on my tombstone uh, if I die but and not raptured out of here. But I think that's, if you're looking for something to put on your tombstone, here it is. She is was called the friend of God. Isn't that a great thing? In fact, Abraham is mentioned the friend of God in two other places. Second Chronicles 27, it says, Abraham, your friend. And Isaiah 41, 8, it says, Abraham, my friend. Jesus also gave this word friend to his 12 disciples. Remember when he said that, I have called you friends. For all things that I've heard from my father, I've made known to you. And then he says, you're my friends if you do whatever I command you. Ladies, by God's grace, Abraham, the disciples, you, you and I can be called friends of God. In fact, we're going to see when we get to chapter 4, this is a stark contrast to what James calls the lovers of the world. He calls them enemies of God. You have a choice. You can either be an enemy God, enemy of God or a friend of God. Well, in verse 24, James continues the answer to the question that he asked in verse 14 that we saw last year. What does it profit, my brethren, though man say he has faith and has not works? Can faith save him? Look at verse 20, 24. You see then that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. Ladies, here James is insisting that one's works must prove any claim of justification by faith. James is demanding a working faith. In fact, in the Greek, the word you see means take heed, beware. It's a warning. And ladies, it's a warning to you and it's a warning to me this evening. If you are still thinking 
that all you have to have is a mere profession of faith without works. That's all I need. James says, no, you see then, you better wake up. You better listen to what I'm saying. I'm only through two chapters. Wait till we get to three, four, and five if you haven't been convicted already. You see then, James says, by works a man is justified, not by faith only. Since a man is proved righteous by works and not by faith alone, you better produce some works to back your words, he says. Well, James ends his thought on working faith with yet another example. This one's very different from Abraham. It's a woman and a prostitute. So he says in verse 25, In like manner was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? The word likewise in the Greek teaches the same truth but uses a different individual. It's interesting, James gives us this example of one, very different in character, right, to demonstrate something that I think is neat. Nobody, regardless of your spiritual condition, your nationality, your social class, has ever been counted righteous without works. Now, ladies, I can understand why James uses Abraham, right? We looked at those passages in Matthew and John and Romans. But why in the world does he use Rahab? She is a Gentile. She is a prostitute. She is a woman, and they weren't looked on highly in those days. She was a liar, and she's a resident of the pagan city Jericho. Abraham was a Jew. He was a righteous man. Rahab was a godless prostitute. How could such a person like Rahab illustrate true faith? Well, let's see. Turn back to Joshua 2. Joshua chapter 2. Don't you just love reading the Old Testament? It's full of great illustrations and lessons for us. Joshua chapter 2. Joshua the son of Nun sent out of Shittim two men to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, even Jericho. And they went and came into to the harlot's house named Rahab, and they lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, there come men in here tonight of the children of Israel to search out the country. And the king of Jericho sent unto Rahab, saying, Bring forth the men who are come to you, who are entered into your house, for they have come to search out all the country. And the women took the two men and hid them. And she said, There came men unto me, but I don't know where they came from and where they were. And it came to pass about the time of shutting the gate. When it was dark, the men went out. Where the men went, I do not know. Pursue after them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she brought them up to the roof of her house, and she hid them with the stalks of flax which she had laid in order on the roof. And the men pursued after them the way to the Jordan and to the fords. And as soon as they who pursued after them were gone out, they shut the gate. And before they were laid down, she came up unto them upon the roof, and she said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that your terror has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts did melt, neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. Now therefore I pray you swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you will also show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token. 
and that you will save alive my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all that I have and deliver our lives from death. And the men answered her, Our life for yours if we do not do this business. And it shall be when the Lord has given us this land, we will deal kindly and truly with thee. Then she let them down by a cord through the window, for her house was upon the town wall, and she dwelt upon the wall. And she said to them, Get to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you, and hide yourself there three days till the pursuers have returned, and afterward that you might go your way. And the men said to her, We will be blameless of this oath which you have made us swear. And then they continue on with their talking to her. We'll stop right there. Now, ladies, unlike Abraham... Rahab knew very little about God. She'd heard about the Red Sea and what had happened. She knew about the war against the two kings of the Amorites. But what she heard, even though she heard a little bit, she believed. And what she believed, she acted on. Ladies, some of you in this room may have great heritage like I do. Born in a minister's home. Always heard about God from the breast. I heard about him my whole life. Some of you may only know a little bit about God. It doesn't matter what you know you should act upon and believe. Abraham believed for 30 years by the time he lifted that knife to Isaac's chest. Rahab just recently came to faith. Just recently. In fact, we see her confession of faith. Did you notice what she says in verse 8? Or let's see, verse 10. We heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, what you did to the two kings, the Amorites, who are on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. As soon as we heard these things, our hearts melt. Neither did there remain any more courage because of you. For the Lord your God, notice what she says, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. You might say, well, how do you know, Susan? Well, if you will continue on reading, there is no implication that she continued in her sin. She did not continue her life of a prostitute after becoming to faith in God. Ladies, that is a mark of a true believer. Her act of faith meant a complete turnaround. She truly turned around and repented. And ladies, I would say that about your life. If there is no repentance after salvation, there is no salvation. If you do not turn your life around. In fact, church uh, tradition history tells us that she not only became a believer, but more than likely she married Joshua, which is interesting. And also, if you have read the genealogy, she is one of the women that is included in the genealogy of our Lord in Matthew chapter one. Also, she is considered to be one of the four most beautiful women in the Bible, along with Sarah, Abigail and Esther. And James says about her that she was justified by her works when she received the messengers. Joshua secretly sent these messengers to Jericho to view the land. And what did Rahab do? She received them. She, this word means in the Greek, she welcomed them. She entertained them as guests. Why? Because she considered them to be God's messengers. She did not consider them to be spies. And then after she received them and welcomed them and entertained them, she sent them out another way. Why did she do that? Because she knew their personal safety was at risk. And it's interesting. She sent them out another way, not through her door, not through a window, and not back to the camp where they would be pursued, but where? To the mountains, 
to the mountains, it tells us. Now, ladies, her works were entirely different from those of Abraham, entirely different. But nonetheless, her faith proved that it was working. In fact, I thought it was interesting when I thought about these two examples. Remember our first lesson in James on brethren counted all joy when you fall into various trials? And we talked about then how every one of us in this room goes through trials, how every one of us in this room has tests. And we talked about the different colors, you know, yellow, black, you know. Isn't it interesting that both Abraham and Rahab, their faith was tested, but it was different? It was a different type of trial, a different color. They were different in character, and yet they were both tested. And both by their works proved to be genuine in their faith. Both were willing to sacrifice what mattered most to them. Abraham, his son, Rahab, her life. Remember, she was a prostitute. She sold her what? Her body for sex, for money. That was the most important thing to her. But she was willing to risk what was most important to her in obedience to God. In fact, it's interesting. If you've read Hebrews chapter 11, both of these are mentioned in the great hall of faith. Ladies, if God asks you this evening, are you willing to sacrifice what matters most to you? In fact, let me ask you, what does matter most to you? Is it your body? Is it your husband? Is it a child, a grandchild, your home? What matters most to you? Every one of us in this room will be given various tests to see if our faith is real, to see if our faith is genuine to the point that we will trust God even in the most difficult and puzzling situations. Didn't our Lord say, whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it? For what does it profit a woman if she gains the whole world but loses her soul? Well, James uses a simple analogy to close this chapter, and notice what he says as we end. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Ladies, the spirit imparts life to our material body and without it we're dead right without the spirit our body is a useless corpse that's why we bury it in fact i've thought often of my mother in the last year you know looking at her there in the in the casket there there is no life the life was taken from her in russia in fact i thought it was interesting our plane flew over Irkutsk, russia where my mother passed away there's no life in her body As the body without the spirit is dead, faith without works is dead. Breath gives life to a body. And many times I long that my mother would be with me again, but she is not. She is dead. Likewise, a living faith produces works. In fact, this is the third time James has said this in these few verses. Notice in verse 17, he said it. Faith without works is dead, being alone. Verse 20, will you not know, O vain, foolish man, faith without works is dead. And now he ends in verse 26, faith without works is dead. He says it three times. It's like you tell your child, don't you get it? Faith without works is dead. Ladies, you are spiritually dead tonight if you only have a mere verbal profession of your faith in Jesus Christ without a life of works. The faith that does not save is called dead. 
Unless your faith this evening is producing holy living, holy works, it has no more of the characteristics of true religion than a dead body has of being a man. And so you might as well go bury your faith and quit being just religious because there's more damnation in the end times for hypocrites. So don't, don't be on the middle of the road. In fact, a good practice to ask yourself if you are wondering about your faith, ask your husband, ask your children, ask your best friend. Does my faith work? In fact, it was interesting. At the end of our time together, Mary and I were closing our 12 days of being together. It's a long time. And she said, you know, Miriam in her sweet little voice, Mrs. Heck, Susan, um, do you see any flaws in my life? Anything that needs to be changed? And I thought, you know, that's a really mature question for a young woman. And I said, well, I just see one thing. And really, that's all I saw. And it was, you know, minimal. And I said, do you see anything in my life? Don't tell me. And she did. And I was like, yeah, you're right. I need to work on that. It was humbling. But ask the people that live with you. Is my faith working? Is my faith working? Mr. Talkative, John Bunyan's character in Pilgrim Progress was a saint at church but a devil at home. Ladies, the home is where the testing ground to see if we are genuine Christians, isn't it? It really is. No one can fool people at home for long. A faith that does not do loving deeds at home is questionable. If necessary, I would encourage you tonight, ask God to grant you saving faith. If you need to, repent of your sin and start living in obedience to him. Christian faith must manifest its existence in active obedience to God's word. You know, those poor ducks in that parable that I started with, they waddled in and out of church, and they never flew as God created them to do because their faith was nothing more than mental ascent. They knew they could fly, quack, 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 amen, amen, amen. But they didn't. In fact, few things are as unattractive. I feel sometimes like a waddling duck. But, you know, it's cute, but it's not so cute. But yet, have you ever seen them fly? I was watching them this morning. They are beautiful, especially when they fly in that, you know, that V. They're beautiful. Few things are as unattractive as a person who has all the religious trappings but doesn't live a life of obedience to God. Have you ever been around them? I have. It's very discouraging. And yet... When we obey, we are beautiful, we are attractive, and we are desirable to be around. Ladies, if you believe this evening, then behave, okay? Let's pray.